which, which helps is uh, just a pig-headed discipline of, um, you know, like focusing on uh, habits. I, I created a habit many, many years ago to spend two, three hours on a Sunday to plan my entire week. And I do it every single week. My family knows that that's my planning time to make sure that I execute on it. And then I, you know, like have this, you know, adrenaline rush on checking things off. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you again. And man, are we looking forward to a great episode. This time, we're bringing John Akoyan on the show. He is the owner and founder of Rooter Hero, the largest privately owned plumbing company in California. We're going to have a great conversation with him about building empires and taking things from nothing to something, more than just something, about $100 million somethings over Short periods of time, it's going to be a great conversation. But of course, first, Brian and I are going to break down that idea for yourselves. We're going to look to Brian for a quote. If opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. Milton Berle. All right. I, I like building doors. That's certainly something that John has, uh, has made a career of multiple times over. You aren't kidding. He's, uh, how many businesses is he? Uh well, at least three, but that's just what he revealed on the podcast. Right. There may be more. <laughs> seven books? Seven books? Minimum. And we got six. He was so kind. Yeah. He sent us six. Sent us a box with six books in it. I did ask him to go ahead and, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to, if you'd be so kind as to autograph them, throw a waste no day quote in there, you know, just waste no day, whatever. Yeah. He's nice. like, oh, man. He's like, uh, I'm, you know. I'm I'm not famous, man. There's no, you know, he's just humble. He's like, there's no point in me autographing. I'm like, bro, please, you're gonna be huge, hundred million dollar business. You know, some would say he's already made it. Uh, yeah, I think I think John's doing just fine. <laughs> How many books have you written, Nate? Uh, so far, zero. All right, me too. You've, you've written more raps than me, though. That's for sure. Yes, uh, DJ Little Chirp has got a name to represent. Yeah. Speaking of Little Chirp, we had a little contest we were running where if we had 200 reviews on apple Podcasts by oh that's right by um december 31st i'll say jan one by jan one oh, okay just in case is that are we setting at 199 because that's going to make a difference 152 oh wow yeah. it's not looking great that's a shame it's not looking great but we could get there it's yeah fine. if we if we get to 200 this year message received my peeps little chirp was going to drop a rap yep. i would say like before an episode yeah and then, uh, well, that was like one thirty, and that was like, what, a month ago? Uh-huh. And we've gotten 20, 22 since then. So I think it's really just. We just need another 48 a lot then, of people, uh, three weeks. A lot of people are withholding until Jan 2. Yeah. No, December 31st. I believe in our waste no day <laughs> yeah. army. Yeah, that's what people are doing on New Year's Eve. They're like, I know. <laughs> wait, 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 Paul, don't drop yet. I've got to send my review. 
Shane V from Las Vegas. Amazing podcast. Five stars. Oh, thanks, Shane. As a hungry, sorry, as a young, hungry electrical contractor, I feed off the energy and wisdom shared on this podcast regularly, especially on Mondays. Thank you for all you do and keep bringing that fire. That sounds like a little sharp wrote that. Appreciate that, Shane V. We will keep bringing the fire. You keep uh, bringing your ears on Monday morning. My man. Thanks, Shane. Appreciate that. This is a good thing for a great thing for a Monday morning. It's like when you're just setting up your week. It's a good, good kind of thing to listen to, especially if you own, you know, own a business, a, a contracting business, or if you're in a truck on some kind of performance pay and you have to get your head in the game, which, you know, my career as a performance pay plumber, I needed, I was just constantly trying to look for something that would help me keep my head in the game to, to put in my tape deck in my truck. Uh, and then, you know, usually just flip that tape over a few times and hear it over and over again as I drove call to call. So what we try to do, and, and uh, thank you for pointing it out, Shane V. Las Vegas, is give everyone something to listen to, something that's just going to keep your head in the game. And I think John's going to do exactly that for us. And it is about uh, what you do after you get that knowledge, right? So it's not enough to just listen uh, to us, to anybody. It's not enough to just listen. And this is one thing that I think we'll be talking about with John today is execution. What makes you different? What makes John different, right? What makes John able to get to $100 million? I mean, I don't think he proclaims to be anything special. He certainly is an extremely humble guy. And yet he was able to experience success after success after success in his life from very humble means. So what is the difference between him and you? In many ways, it's execution. It's he found a way to take what he knew was right and would make success happen, and he did it. He did it time and time again. And that's an important concept to ask yourself. Like, you know, a lot of us, most of us, I would say, know what to do. We know the right things to do. It's whether we have the discipline and the wherewithal and we sustain in the execution, whether we can keep it going day in and day out. And that's where so many people fall off. I mean, you want to talk about the NFL, my Eagles, Brian, what, are the, what record are they? Um, not quite as good as my Wolverines who were, uh, who were gonna, in, in the playoffs, but I don't know. Go on. Yeah. Where, where were we? Yes. They so, got that loss, right? Uh, they have a singular loss. Okay, and cool. uh, although I'm recording this prior to the weekend, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it'll be 12 and 1 coming Monday. Who I might got? have to eat that recording, but <laughs> <laughs> we're playing the Giants. So, <laughs> should be okay. Should be okay. Uh, but, you know, with the NFL, I mean, there's so many people that, that aspired to make to the NFL. There's so many people that have the skills. And there's so many people that have the talents to do so, but their bodies don't last or their, their discipline doesn't last. Like they may be able to get there, but they can't stay there day in and day out at that level of performance. Either their body breaks down or their will breaks down. And it's the people that, that can push through both of those things uh, that, that stay in and they stay in long and they have great careers. You translate that back into the, the work world and it's, it's your ability to know what to do to execute on it and to keep executing on, on it day in and day out and to keep doing that in such a way that it takes you to that next level and then finding that next thing that you need to execute on. It's so easy in concept, but so difficult to apply. And John, to his credit, has found a way to do that time in 
in timeout. Yeah, probably using something like Mel Robbins' five-second rule. Have you heard of this book, Nate? I can't say that I have, at least by that name. I also had not. Uh, Mark Jennison told me to pick it up, so, you know me. Uh, Mark Jennison, yes. Yeah, I have I a, comeback. a comeback. Yep, great Love episode. A couple, what, three back. If you have not listened to that one yet, highly, highly, highly recommend going back. It's a two-parter. Check them both out. It's good stuff. Um, he recommended me pick up uh, the five-second rule, and it's a... The basis of the book, from what I can tell, you know, I didn't pick up anything. I just downloaded it on Audible because you know how I get down. But from what I can tell, it's just, it's it's giving yourself a bias towards action. So when you hear a good idea or when you think up a good idea, like you have that aha moment where you're like, <clears throat> man, if something like this, dot, 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 or if I was just to start doing this, dot, 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 you, you count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and and you take a single action on that. Don't Google it. Put the phone down. <laughs> but five, four, three, two, one, and you act on whatever that idea, that thought, whatever that was, you actually take a step in that direction. And it's like, you know, Building blocks, Legos, Lincoln Logs, slowly but surely doing that over and over and over again makes you a person of action and purpose, and you just start having a life that you could never imagine, according to all the testimonials from the book. I'm not through the book yet, so I'll let you know how it goes. Oh, that's a great concept, Brian, and I think there's there's a lot of merit to that because, you know, I, a lot of our audience is in, is in a truck on a day-to-day basis or by themselves, and I'm sure you have these great thoughts that come and go from your head. And then unfortunately they just often go like they go nowhere and even writing them down or in, in that case, as you suggested, taking action, that's a simple thing towards execution. And it's those small things that, that can end up making the difference. Right. And I mean, that's like the age old thing, you know, Hey, one small step in the right direction, but it, it really is the beginning of that habit, that lifestyle where you actually do things that, that are going to push you forward. You don't think about them. You don't forget about them. You don't wish that you had done something. You actually did do something. You pushed yourself forward, whether that's taking that great idea about how you could change something or whether it's making that phone call to that relationship that you'd like to repair or whether it's doing something, uh, you know, in terms of building your, your personal leadership goals, your personal life goals and taking that step. And I think that's a great idea, Brian, and a simple place that all of us can start. Yeah, so check the book out. If uh, You know what? I'm going to try to get Mel Robbins on here. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, I have no idea who she is except that she wrote a, a cool book that I was uh, put on to by Mark Jennison. And so far, I think the book's awesome. So we'll see if we can get Mel on. Well, I tell you who we're going to put on now, and that is Mr. John Akoyan into your passenger seat. Our guest today is John Akoyan. He is the CEO of Reader Hero, and he overcame adversity as a grieving teenager going down a bad path by joining the skilled trades. Now he runs the largest privately held plumbing company in California while being an author, an industry leader, and a father. He says his mission now is to help others maximize their careers and live fulfilling, comfortable lives. Welcome to the show, John. Uh, Thank you. Happy to be here. Absolutely. We're happy to have you. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, John. We we um, have not had the pleasure of speaking before this episode. 
Um, but I, I heard you on Tommy Mello's podcast from a couple of years ago. I was doing a little back digging as I like to do on my long drive trips. And uh, wife and I took a long drive this past weekend to uh, Ikea, <laughs> which is like nearly two hours from here for a closet system. And uh, so that means I have some work to do this coming weekend. But um, listen to the episode and loved your story. I feel like, you know, plumbers like myself, we're way underrepresented on this show and in the industry. HVAC tends to get all the limelight, but we're going to change that on this show, Nate Minnick. Oh, yeah. You hear me, buddy? So sure. thanks for coming on, and uh, we booked this pretty quickly, and we always appreciate that, John. So if you want to uh, tell us a little a little about yourself, how'd you get into plumbing? Where'd you come from? Um, yeah, thank you. I, uh, I got into plumbing, uh, you know, I, there's a saying I say, you know, people either get into plumbing cause their dad's a plumber, uh, or they get into plumbing through hardship. I mean, you never grow up going, Hey, I want to be a plumber <laughs> or both. So, yeah, or both. Uh, or both. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I got in through the hardship thing. So my dad passed, he was a truck driver. I was 17 going to high school. Um, and my dad passed away and I ended up uh, getting into plumbing uh, to work with a family friend and um, and to learn the trades. My mom's like, I told her I could drive the truck. And she goes, no, you don't have a class A license. Plus, your dad was always on the road. So go, go into the trades. You'll always put food on the table being in the trades. So go into the trades. And she called one of our family friends, said, hey, can you take my son to be your apprentice? And and he's like, yeah, I'll teach him plumbing. So I went out there and uh, learned how to plumb with him. That's and good. I just kind of fell in love with it. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's such a common story in the trades. And what a unique opportunity that you probably weren't even aware of at the time. No, it was never, like, I never, like, grew up, like, thinking, hey, I'm going to be a plumber. You know, it was like, my parents wanted me to go to school and be a, be a doctor or a lawyer or something and you know i and i went with it i'm like yeah I'll, you know i'll do it for my parents i'll keep them happy but i was a very 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 good uh, excellent d student so <laughs> i don't think that would have even been an option for me gotcha <laughs> well uh yeah you know what they say about c and d students and a students you know all the a students are working for the c and d students so here we are, man. And now you're sitting at the top of a $100 million organization. Let's talk about Rooter Hero and all the things that you got going on there. Uh, fill us in on the, the line between A and B in terms of where you are now and what that young fellow in a plumbing apprenticeship, uh, how did you get from there to here? So, um, yeah, I was working with uh, Arthur and... Um, yeah, I, I started working for him as a laborer and I was just in, kind of fetching tools. He was a commercial apartment building uh, maintenance plumber. Um, so we'd go out to apartments and, you know, fix water leaks in the crawl space and stuff like that. So I started out like I remember my uh, my, uh, you know, beginning salary with him. It was twenty five dollars a day. That was my, uh, you know, I'd show up at six thirty in the morning you know, you're going to, we're going to work till probably about four or five and you get 25 bucks a day. And the better you get, the more I pay you. So I got better and better and I got all the way up to 60, but that was still not enough to pay the bills. And I was like right around 18 at the time, you know, I learned really quick, like within six to eight months, I was at the cap of what he pays. 
Uh, then I went to talk to him. I said, Hey, Arthur, let's, let's grow this business, man. You have a great business and I'd love to train others and, you know, help you grow it. And he's like, John, I'm not interested. I'm a one truck operator. I love my life. I do not want to have the headaches. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, I got to make more money. You know, what can I do? He said, you got a couple options. You know, you're a great plumber now. You know, I taught you well. You could go out and work for a big company where there's opportunities to uh, open doors or, or you could go start your own thing. So I decided that I'm going to go start my own thing. So I was like pushing uh, 18, 19, uh, and I started, I started my plumbing company, High Quality Plumbing. Sheesh, at 18 years old? Yeah, I mean, I started 18 or 19. I don't remember exactly. But That's crazy. I remember going to the contractor's board and filling out my license paperwork. And back then, they used to allow you to kind of like uh, plead your case. You know, now it's like a four-year uh, or, <laughs> I like you know, so I went. Plead your case. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so I went, I put my application in, and then they gave me a hearing date. I went over there and met with, they had an office in Glendale, California, uh, so I met with them and uh, sat across the table with four of them. And they're like, well, you know, you're you're too young to get your license. I, I said, well, I'm a great plumber. Give me a chance. You know, I've been working in plumbing since in my teen days. And uh, and uh, I know what to do. Just give me a chance. So they gave me a chance and I took the test and passed it. And I was licensed. So I, I ended up starting my company. I went door to door in the beginning. Uh, just trying to get any type of plumbing job I could get. Anything to do with the pipe, you know, I wanted to get my hands on it. So I went to restaurants. I went to management companies. Uh, I met with realtors, um, con- you know, contractors, started doing any kind of plumbing, new construction plumbing, service plumbing, you know, restaurant plumbing, whatever. And I got really busy and I, I got a second truck. And, and then... Um, then what happened is I saved a bunch of money. I was like about, uh, I guess, 21, 22. And I had, you know, done really well. I'm running two trucks. Um, I was out in the field. My cousin was in another truck. You know, we both had helpers and we were busy as heck. And I saved a lot of money. And I said, you know, I'm going to invest this money. So I went and bought a franchising magazine and uh, thought maybe I could put some money into franchising. Back then, they were opening up all these Del Tacos and Taco Bells, and uh, it was like a you know fast food franchise trend that was going on. They were opening up everywhere. So I said I could you know I could still do plumbing and uh, own one of these fast food franchises and make some money on the side. And I bought a magazine. I started flipping through it, and I saw a plumbing franchise in there uh, with a startup investment cost. So I called them. And ended up buying a plumbing franchise. <laughs> Put my uh, whole life savings into it. Bought a plumbing franchise, and uh, did that for a good twenty years. Um, a little more than that because I uh, they they have ten year agreements, and I uh, did the two ten year agreements, and I did extensions because I knew I wanted to get out at the time. So um, ended up being one of the largest franchisees for the franchisor that I you know, invested in, uh, got to a point where I had four different divisions. Uh, we're probably doing, I don't know, 20, 30 million a year. Uh, we're the highest revenue generating franchisee they had in plumbing, um, and won, won a bunch of awards. 
but then um, got to a point where the growth stopped. I mean, like, I guess in the franchising world, when you, you know, get too big, they don't, you know, you look, they look at you as a threat, I guess. I, I don't know. So they wouldn't sell me any more franchises and the ones that were there uh, that I wanted to buy, you know, they wanted a gazillion dollars for their franchise, you know, even though they weren't doing any revenue or profit. So I knew that those days were numbered. So I ended up selling my franchises. I got out of the franchise world and then uh, put all my emphasis into Ruder Hero. And, you know, we grew it from uh, 2011 to what it is today. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, such a, a, a roller coaster of stories uh, that I'm sure has so many more small stories written into it. Let's let's start back at, uh, you know, you at 18, 19, starting your own company, because th- there's uh, a lot of people who have considered starting their company and specifically, you know, becoming a one man operation. You know, they've learned a skill, a trade, and they're like, yeah, you know, I think I could do this on my own. What was that like as an 18 or 19 year old jumping into that and, and you know, obviously I'm assuming you didn't really have any business training or understanding of that. Like you had uh, trial and fire <laughs> trial by fire, excuse me, your way through this whole thing. What was that like? Uh, it was, it was kind of scary. I mean, I was, so when I was working for Arthur, I didn't mention this, but you know, when my, when my dad passed away, you know, we, we had just bought a house a year before that we bought a house in North Hollywood and, uh, you know, our upbringings were, you know, we didn't really have a whole lot of money. My brother and I, uh, you know, he's older than me. We grew up in a one bedroom apartment with our parents up until we bought the house. I got my own room. I was like, you know, totally uh, happy as a teenager to not have to share a living room with my brother, you know, <laughs> as a teenager. Um, so when my dad passed, it was like it, almost everything, you know, like that he worked for and was there you know, was that jeopardy? We're like, gosh, dad was the guy making all the money. What are we going to do? My brother was going to college to be an architect, doing some odd jobs here and there on the side, not making a whole lot of money. You know, I was, um, I was working. So I started working since I was like 15, maybe 14 years old. And, um, and you know, my mom never worked. So I was wondering what, what are we going to do? You know? So, I had to really step up and do something. And uh, when I learned plumbing, you know, on the weekends when I wasn't working for Arthur, I was doing jobs for family and friends. So there was a bunch of work I was doing for other people. So I was kind of making more money, but it wasn't enough. So when I went into business, I mean, I had no choice but to succeed. I mean, I worked like, you know, 12, 14 hours a day trying to get work and uh, doing everything I can to uh, keep myself busy so I could uh, make sure that we don't lose the house because that was basically my motivation at the time. We're not going to let, we're going to be able to pay for the mortgage and we're not going to lose the house because I do not want to move back into that one bedroom apartment. So it doesn't, Um, it it really doesn't sound like you skipped much of a beat in terms of your, your drive, certainly. So I'm I'm guessing, and I'm going way out on a limb here. There's no fear of losing the Okoya house these days. <laughs> so. No, no, not anymore. That's uh, you know, my mom's still in the house. It's paid off. You know, we've got an ADU. She's retired. So mom's doing well. Your you know. your uh, one of your rec- uh, one of your last books was uh, how I took my company to fifty million dollars. What 
what is motivating you now that it's doubled in, in at least in revenue and you're still going strong? Uh, gosh, I mean, um, you know, now it's all about legacy. You know, I just want to, you know, I just want to be old one day, sit on my porch, look back and go, you know, uh, I did the best I could in the trades. Uh, I did everything I could. I, I tried my best. I did my best. We created a great, uh, brand and it still exists beyond me. So I just want to create something bigger than me, bigger than, than, than what it is at this point. It's all about legacy. Is that where the, uh, the 99 millionaires comes in? Yeah, that was inspired by, um, you know, I helped some of our, um, key managers at the time when I had the franchise and, and, um, even existingly, you know, helped a lot of people, you know, kind of create wealth, um, by, you know, helping me grow the business. And my goal was to continue to do that. And, uh, at the time, I think there was about 10 millionaires that was created in the process, uh, maybe a handful, a dozen. And, um, and you know, one of my managers said, Hey, you know, like we need to 10 X this. And I'm like, you know what? we're going to create 99 millionaires. Then I wrote a book about it, you know, said, you know, we're, we're going to do the best we can to, you know, create wealth for people in the plumbing industry. And, you know, I mean, a couple of guys ended up becoming uh, billionaires in the process. Too. You know, the, we were the first service Titan um, users and uh, the founders that, that had that, uh, that owned that company, you know, we were their first customers. They had nobody. And then we helped them, you know, kind of get into the franchising and, and be the software of choice for franchising. And then I think we did a really big thing to the trades by helping, you know, kind of put service Titan on the map in the beginning days. Now they're, now they're, you know, doing really well. So uh, uh, who is this service Titan you speak of? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're doing all right. What, I don't know what yeah. the percentage is, but it's like, and, at least in, in larger, you know, over $5 million companies, it's got to be a very high percentage of companies are on service Titan at this point. Well, I mean, it's, you know, now the thing is if you're not on service Titan, you know, you're like, it was the old yellow page thing, right? You don't exist. Uh, but you know, it's like the engine that drives everything, right? We use it so much. I mean, we depend on it to give us so much of our data so we can make good choices and stuff. And, um, and you know, the company is amazing. I mean, the founders are great guys and their intentions are to help, you know, as many plumbing companies, HVAC companies, you know, grow their business. And they have, I mean, because of the software, we've been able to grow our business, you know, and I'm sure that's happening with many other people too. So John, did you see yourself as an 18, 19 year old boy, man, you know, young man walking around, knocking on doors, looking for work, trying to scrape up whatever you could. Did you see yourself in this position now? Was there anything inside of you that was calling to this, you know, big dream or, or did that develop later in your life? I've, I've always been really driven, you know, even when I was young, you know, I remember, um, my aunt, you know, married uh, some guy that was really wealthy, right? Uh, and I was like a teenage, like maybe 12 or 13 years old. I remember this because, uh, you know, the guy was like, you know, because we never really knew anybody that had money, you know? So when I met the guy, I just, you know, like started like kind of analyzing him going, you know, what makes him so different? I mean, what, 
what is it that this guy did that, you know, um, other people, family members I know haven't done. And I was so interested. I mean, I, I, you know, I remember asking him a bunch of questions and stuff and, and the guy's like, man, you, you ask a lot of questions for a kid. (laughs) Um, but I, but I determined in my mind that, you know what, if this guy did it, you know, he has no education. I mean, he came here as a immigrant and uh, he just really worked hard and he was just telling me how hard he worked and, you know, how focused he was. I go, you know, I mean, what makes me any different, you know, so I could do it too. You know, being a, being an immigrant myself coming into this country when I was two, three years old, seeing my parents labor, you know, day and night, learn a new language. Um, you know, it was just, you know, I guess all of that stuff really kind of made me believe that I could do it. And my mom had a lot to do with it as well, because she always encouraged me and always said that, um, you know, uh, you could do it. You're, you know, you're, you know, you're, she was always like an encouragement. She was like, sort of like always my, for my mom, I could probably walk on water, you know, like it was like, you know, yeah. Shout out to the moms. Uh, so many good moms out there who've pushed us to be greater and better than we would have been. Yeah. Yeah. She was always like encouraging me, telling me how great I was and how I could make a difference. And, and, uh, and I believed it, you know, I believed it because my mom convinced me and then I was hungry. You know, I wanted to grow. I wanted to, um, you know, I wanted to do the best I can in whatever I touched. And, and I stuck to one thing, you know, that's another thing. I tell my kids that I have teenage boys. Now my oldest is 20, but I tell them too, look, just try to be the best at whatever you choose. Don't worry about like, you know, looking for your destiny or what is your calling? Your calling is whatever you become great at. So stick to one thing. There's the 10,000 hour rule, you know, become really good at it. Keep learning, keep getting better. And, uh, and whatever it is, you'll dominate, you know, you'll be the best. Uh, just don't go around trying to change careers like most people do, you know, five or six times trying to figure out if that's your calling. So, so where do you, where do you originally hail from, John? Uh, I'm originally from Armenia. Uh, I was born in Armenia and, uh, my mom was born in Siberia. Um, and my dad was born in Lebanon, but they were both Armenian and they both, uh, went different directions because of, uh, back in, you know, in Armenia when, uh, when Stalin was the, uh, was the, you know, was sort of over Russia. They took Armenia as a colony and my grandparents were against that. So they sent them to Siberia and that's where my mom was born. Uh, but eventually when he was out of power, they went back to Armenia. And then from the genocide days, my dad's side of the family went to Lebanon and he was born there. But once things settled down, they went back to uh, Armenia as well. That's where my dad met my mom and you know, that's where we, you know, that's where I was born. And what made them, uh, you were born in Armenia. How old were you when they brought you to, uh, the U S I was, um, I was three. I was three years old. Okay. So you, you basically grew up here in, in, uh, California. 
Yeah, I grew up in California. I, I honestly say California because it's the only place I've ever met a person of Armenian background. <laughs> so I was like doing the math on that. But yeah, so Ruder Hero is in California. So what made your parents move here? My grandfather, from my dad's side, moved here in uh, 1972, the year I was born. And, um, and then he sent a visa. And my dad was a crane operator back then, working odd jobs. And we were, you know, I mean, it was under communism. So my dad wanted to get out of there because he's like, this is not where my kids are going to end up being prosperous. You know, I have to get my kids into an environment where they can succeed. So, you know, that's what he did. No, that's awesome, man. Congrats on, uh, on getting here while, and being here while California is still not quite communist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, communism is a far cry from capitalism, and it seems like you've certainly been able to uh, use that system successfully. Let's jump into your experience in the franchising. We're actually part of a plumbing franchise here, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing. Um, you know, at coming out of your own truck, so to speak, and joining a, a system that had lots of uh, ideally answers for you, systems and processes and ways of doing things, what were some of the things that you immediately benefited from in joining up with that franchise? Well, I mean, the immediate things were that I was all over the place. I was like doing all kinds of plumbing, right? So I was doing new construction. I was doing um, apartment building service and repair. You know, I was repiping buildings. I mean, just whatever I could get my hands on, I would do. So when I got with the franchisor, you know, they're like, okay, well, you know, got to focus on residential plumbing, right? Cause that's their, that was their niche. Um, so I, I eventually stopped doing all of the other things and just kind of converted my company to just become a residential plumbing company, which was actually easier because I was used to working on bigger pipes, right? So it was like, hey, I went from, you know, working on two and a half, three inch water lines for these big apartment buildings uh, to, you know, three quarter and one inch lines, you know, half inch lines. Um, so that, and then they taught me how to read financials. I mean, I didn't know how to, you know, my financials were my bank account, right? I used to see it grow and I'm like, oh, okay, so I must be doing good. <laughs> must be money making money. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they, uh, we, we started becoming a sophisticated business, started to, you know, implement uh, QuickBooks for our financing and started doing a bunch of other things, you know, and then started reading financials. I started, you know, pulling out numbers and looking at it and then measuring it. So then I had the opportunity to network with other franchise needs, which was great because I was so hungry. I would, like, go visit everybody. You know, I would fly you know, four, five, six times a year, I'd be in different people's offices asking a bunch of questions. That is uh, definitely a unique opportunity and something that we found uh, very beneficial in being part of our franchise here is the opportunity to interact with what would normally be competitors, uh, but in a friendly manner, right? Because we're all kind of playing for the same team. Very cool. So John, as you transition from the franchise world into the open market with your starting your own business, you know, why did you choose to start your own business and why go with Ruder Hero? What's the story behind the name? 
So when we started Rooter Hero, you know, there was a, one of the founders who's a good friend of mine. He used to work for me um, doing an HVAC company. Uh, he's retired now. His name is Mike West, and he was a third-generation plumber. And uh, I was networking with a group back then. I was part of, like, Vistage. Um, and there was a guy that was making uh, badges, like, not only badges, but, like, you know, all these uh, memora- uh, memorabilia uh, from, you know, like veterans, you know, like, you know, hero patches and, you know, these pins and, you know, like shirts and stuff like that. And I think it was like the company was called Hero, um, you know, like, you know, I don't know, like something to do with, you know, like products, right? So I always liked the name Hero. I said, you know, you know Hero is like, kind of what we are, right? Because we help people do stuff. So when uh, we started Rooter Hero, Mike went out and started it for me over in uh, Orange County. And um, and uh, he was the president. He was the guy that was running it. And um, he's like, you know, what name should we use? So we're brainstorming. I go, I love the name Hero. And, um, you know, we're focusing on drain cleaning. So, you know, let's just go Rooter Hero Plumbing. And he's like, great, that's a great name. Let's go for that. So we trademarked it and then we, um, you know, we went with the name and he went off and found the logo and uh, hired people to do that and, you know, successfully got that started while I was trying to get out of the franchise. Um, And then as soon as I sold and got out of the franchise, I came in and, you know, we, I took over because he wanted to retire. He was, you know, kind of older, wanted to do a mission for his church and, so I helped them retire and then, uh, and then just kind of, you know, took over the business and just continued to grow it. And I guess I the, hope that answered your question. That was a <laughs> yeah. long winded answer. No, no, that's all, that's all good, man. And where, like, can you give us an idea of that was 2011, I believe, you know, where did you start in terms of size or, or scale of the business at that point? Oh, we, we, I I think I had like three or four trucks that was left over, like between all of my franchise divisions. Um, And, you know, they weren't occupied. So I had them stripped down and I gave them the trucks and, and uh, started in Orange County, California, because he lived in Palos Verdes and that was kind of close to him. And uh, that was a market that we weren't in or doing anything. And I thought it was a great market. So we started probably with a, you know, three or four trucks in Orange County back then. And uh, then we just kind of scaled the business from there. Now we have several hundred trucks and, you know, over four or 500 employees. I lost count. I mean, we were hiring so many people. Ooh, um, man, that's awesome. I'm guessing, John, uh, you know, when you made that decision to pull the trigger to starting your own business in uh, 2011, you know, and starting Rooter Hero, I'm guessing you weren't going door to door knocking, uh, looking for work anymore. So what did you do to begin scaling your business? So what I did to help scale the business is I, I mean, I was basically focused on just starting locations and uh, looking outside the business for good people that could come in and help me grow it. That was mainly what, you know, I do today. Even, you know, I just kept doing that. I had, you know, really good people running the businesses, you know, like guys that were doing a great job managing it. And I was never a great manager. You know, I kind of suck at being a manager. Um, 
but I was like, you know, really motivated to just keep in on my side of the lane, which is do startups. Um, I like to get the groundwork done, like do the first 20% and then, and then bring people on that could get the rest of it done. I'm a good starter, but not a good finisher. <laughs> yeah, I know a couple people like that. Uh, <clears throat> co-host not included, of course. But <laughs> John, uh, one thing that is uh, is critical in our market is finding those good people. You know, it, it's such a struggle, I think, for everybody in the trades to find good people. How have you found success in hiring, you know, now hundreds of people? How have you found success in not only finding people, but finding the right ones? Yeah, you know, we do two things. I mean, we're always looking, you know, for people within the company that can help us. Like, you know, we whenever we look for people for new positions because we're growing and we're opening up, we always look in first. And uh, if we can't find somebody that's, that's inside, then we look out. But, you know, nowadays, I mean, um, it's not easy, but, you know, we place ads and, you know, we train people, we have people that start with our company and go out in the field as, you know, just a laborer or a, or a apprentice or a helper. And then we put them through a training process where we can, you know, turn them into a plumber. So we do everything we can to, you know, get people into the trades. I've wrote several books that I put out there, uh, on how the trades really changed my life. And, um, and, you know, I, we send them out to people and we try to get you know, young people to, you know, join the trades if they're not wanting to go to college or, you know, they're like me, they're great D students, right? (laughs) Right. But they're, but they're handy with their, you know, they like working with their hands. In in doing that, John, you know, are you, are you sending people into the high schools and the colleges, trade colleges, or are you pulling people off the street and putting them through you know, a program based upon personality or something like that. What's, what's some of the, those effective strategies? So, yeah, we used to, we used to do job fairs and, and go into uh, high schools. We haven't been doing that much uh, lately. Uh, nowadays, you know, we, our recruiters just basically focus on placing ads and then we work on bringing entry level people in and, uh, and basically we train them upwards, you know, into, uh, different positions, but we do do profiling uh, for different positions. You know, we use the disc, we use Colby, we use all kinds of different stuff because, you know, some people, you want to know if they're really good with their hands, right? So a lot of these, uh, uh, you know, technology profile tests nowadays will give you that information that you need, you know, by them taking it. It's not a hundred percent accurate, but, you know, even 80, 90% accuracy will, help save, you know, putting a wrong fit person into a position. Right. And now you are the CEO of the largest privately held plumbing company in the state of California. That's quite an accomplishment and certainly something that we applaud you for. And it's really amazing, but I'm guessing you're not done. What, what does next steps look like for you? Well, I mean, we tackled the lot, you know, one of the largest states in our, uh, in our country. So, you know, now I'd like to, you know, just move on from uh, California into neighboring states and see if we can, uh, you know, continue to grow our brand, you know, going, uh, you know, going towards the East, you know, maybe dominate the West coast and then uh, with having our brands in all the major cities and then start to move to the other end of the country. 
That's great. And I, I noticed here that uh, <clears throat> you, you have listed that your, your mission is to help others maximize their careers and live fulfilling, comfortable lives. Do you feel like you are accomplishing that strictly within Rooter Hero or do you have other means that you're doing you know, on the side to execute on that dream? Um, I'm primarily my, my, that's a good question. My primarily, you know, I'm primarily like doing it through Rooter Hero. This is my number one focus. And, um, and I don't really have a lot of hobbies or do a lot of other things. I do enjoy what I do and I enjoy doing it with the people that I work with. Um, so my goal is to help the people within our reach, within our company, you know, live better lives through, through plumbing and HVAC now because we just started HVAC. Oh, fantastic. So give us an idea about uh, the proportions of your HVAC to your plumbing. Is that like a 1090 or have you more made more ground than that? No, we're, we're just getting started. We, we started two locations. We have one up north and we have one in, uh, in uh, Southern California. And um, we've got plans to open up four more next year. Uh, in different locations and um, you know, our existing GMs are working on getting those opened up. Um, so we have a VP of HVAC that works in our company and his focus is, uh, and he comes from the HVAC world. He kind of grew up in that space. Um, so he's basically working on implementing all of the startup things that we need to do in all of our centers to, you know, offer that service as well. Have you found it to be a difficult transition uh, integrating HVAC in? I mean, I feel like a lot of times it's HVAC companies that are bringing plumbing into their business. You kind of came about it from a different direction, being a plumbing company, bringing HVAC. So talk about that a little bit and what it looked like to bring in another trade and going in that direction where you are a plumbing company and now you're introducing, introducing a whole other concept. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it is the other way around, if it's easier this way or that way. I just know that, you know, we have to do this. We have customers that need uh, the service. You know, we, we're already in the house. And, um, and you know, we're going to do uh, one, of, one of the, you know, the, I guess the things that, that I've been used to is uh, being patient and grinding at something until, we perfect it. I, I usually never like to give up on anything. Um, so I know that eventually we're going to be really, really good at it. Uh, right now we're just starting and I think we're doing pretty good. And uh, eventually I think it'll, you know, it might be half our business. Who knows? So tell me about your, uh, I, I know you guys do some presentation training there from uh, the podcast I heard you on. And this was two years ago that I heard this, but do you, any, any, um, anything you can give away without giving away too much, I guess, in terms of how you, how you train your plumbers in presenting, like in the home, what are, what are your primary, uh, big ticket items and how do you train your guys? Yeah. In fact, I, uh, one of our GMs, uh, wrote a book that I, uh, I didn't co-author it with him, but I did, uh, do the forward in the book. And uh, we have a process, you know, called the Hero Way. And it's actually something we share with everybody. I mean, I can send you a book if you'd like. Um, and there's a certain way that we, we, we would like before we get to it. <laughs> yes, I would like very okay. much, very much so, John. 
Yeah. So it's, you know, we, we call it the five keys that open the five doors to endless opportunities. And, um, and it's a very detailed way of how we go to market, you know, from when we get the call, what our technicians say when they get in the house. Um, we have a program where we have the, what we call a channel leader for every five or five or six technicians. We have, um, a guy that's sort of like a senior plumber, um, that goes out to the jobs, runs cameras and does stuff, uh, to help them increase the average tickets if, if the customer has problems. And then we have this process called the step system where we step jobs and then we give options, you know? So, um, you know, for example, like we'll, you know, we, we offer $77 drain cleaning specials. Uh, on the HVAC side, we have a $77 tune-up special. So, you know, we get, when customers call us, we go there, we try to do the best $77 job we can for them. And then while we're there, we, you know, we inspect. And if we find other issues, then, you know, we apply that towards uh, a different solution. And then we eventually, you know, like, get the homeowner involved and come up with options and then present options. We, we usually have five to six options that we present every homeowner and we let them decide what, what's you know, the, what they want to do. What did you mean by the step pro- steps? Yeah. For example, like if we go out for a $77 drain cleaning or an HVAC uh, special, and let's say we find a different problem in the house, like, you know, um, um, I don't know, like, fan motor is not working or something is broken on the, on the, you know, let's say you run a cable and you pull out sludge or buildup. We apply the 77 towards like another solution. It could be a, a hydrojet. It could be a repair. It could be something. Um, and then, you know, basically start working on the system. And then once we're fixing it, then we inspect everything and then we give them options. You know, if we're looking under the house or, in their water system or whatever. I mean, we do a full plumbing inspection and then we have homeowners, you know, involved in the plumbing inspection and then we get permission to put it on the option sheet. They give us permission, then we'll put it on the option sheet and then we'll present it to them as an option. And we have a complete training system that's built in and around this whole process. Um, you know, we have a couple of trainers that come in and we bring all of our techs and sales people in and we work with them one by one and coach them and, you know, help them understand the hero way. We call it the hero way. So, you know, this is the way we do things here. Everybody learns the hero way. And then we uh, basically, you know, if they do it really well, they can make a lot of money, you know, and they could become wealthy. If they don't, then we try to work with them until they learn the process. That's a great, uh, great point, John. And process is so key to all of business. As you reflect upon, you know, what you're doing now with all the systems and strategies that you have set up compared to the John of, you know, 19 year old John, you know, what, what are the difference makers and what are the things that you clearly identify as this is what has made this possible? Yeah, you know, I have it in my book, you know, how I built my plumbing company from zero to 50 million um, and how I plan to triple it in the next three. It's uh, the whole, everything that I've done to build the company to where it is, I wrote it and I give it out to anybody that wants it. So I'd be happy to share that book with you if you want it. In fact, I'll send you all the books I wrote uh, if you would just uh, 
send me your your address and I'll I'd be happy to share all the books. I believe in sharing, you know, I believe, you know, like helping the trades and sharing and doing so a lot of what we're doing here um is no secret. I mean the secret is in execution, right? I mean most people know what to do, they're just poor at executing it. Um so I like to share it, and if somebody's good at executing, they could take it and they could duplicate it. I mean, it's not really that hard. Yeah, I, I, I love that. The secret isn't in the you know what you're doing. It's in the discipline of the execution. What has made you, John, a far better executor than anybody else? Well, I, I can't say I'm far better than anybody else. I mean, I'm, I'm probably you know good at it, but what, what's helped? is uh, just a pig-headed discipline of, um, you know, like focusing on uh, habits. So nowadays I've created a lot of habits uh, that all are in and around, you know, the results I'm looking for, right? So um, that way I don't have to force myself to do certain things. You know, for example, like every Sunday I, I created a habit many, many years ago to spend two, three hours on a Sunday to plan my entire week. And, you know, and I do it every single week. I mean, I've blocked it out in my calendar. My family knows that that's my planning time because I have to get my stuff done. I have a weekly planner that I go in and do, and then I put my, you know, habits in there that I want to change and break and create better habits. And Every Sunday, I plan my entire week. I put it all in my calendar to make sure that I execute on it. And then I, you know, like have this, um, you know, adrenaline rush on checking things off. Like every morning I wake up, I look at my calendar and I can't go home until every single thing is checked off on my calendar. And if that means I have to work 14 hours that day, that means I have to work 14 hours that day. If I could get it done in six, you know, then I'll do it in six. But sometimes, you know, you go to the office and, you know, a bunch of people are at your door, got a minute, got a minute, you know, you're putting out fires. And uh, and it takes longer to, you know, do the things that you want to do because you're busy helping people. Um, but I try not to not help people. I try to still do that, but I, I do the best I can to check mark every single item that I plan to get done. Um, so I think the power is in habits. You know, you have to be able to create the habits, um, you know, to serve your goals. And I think I've just uh, focused on doing that so much, and I failed at it so much that I, I kept doing it, and then I've, I've eventually got better at it. I can't say I'm great at it. I'm still working on it. Appreciate that humility, John. I, I think you're doing just fine, but uh, always searching for more. Speaking of habits, let's talk about that. Um, let's break, for our listening audience, let's break down the concept into three groupings. So <clears throat> we have listening people to this audience who are technicians in the field right now. They're HVAC techs, they're plumbers, they're electricians, they're on the front line. What are the habits that they should be focusing on right now, whether it's just to improve themselves or if they're considering starting a business, you know, what, what would make a difference there? You know, what are the things that they should be focusing on even as they're turning the wrench right now in the homeowner's basement? What are the things that they should be focusing on? 
Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think they should be focusing on what, what are their goals? I mean, what do they want to accomplish, right? Um, if, if the goal is to, you know, like you're a technician and you don't want the headaches of having your own business, then focus on being really, really good at your trade and, um, you know, be the best you can at it. If you want to start a business or you want to start your own plumbing company, then focus on the habits of uh, what you have to do to start working on the business instead of in the business. I mean, we have people that work in our company and, uh, you know, that are, that are doing really well. I mean, you know, they're making half a million dollars a year, even more than that as, as technicians, as salespeople, as managers. So, you know, their, their goal is to continue to do what they're doing because they're building wealth within what they're doing. So I tell them, listen, if you're doing really well, figure out how you can incrementally even get better than that, right? So you can uh, move up to a different position and, and become even better at that. So it's knowing what you really want and then becoming good at identifying that and then going and working on it, you know, being purposeful about it. I knew I wanted to build a plumbing company. So if I came in every day and all I did is work on, you know, putting out fires, I could spend eight to 10 hours a day just putting out fires, you know, but I knew that that wasn't my goal. My goal was to open up locations and create opportunities for other people to become wealthy within this organization. So I, I'm creating doors. I'm opening up doors for people to be able to do that, you know, be able to make a good living within a business, right? Where they don't have to take the risk on themselves and go out there and do that. Yes, I believe so, Tommy Mello refers to that as an intrapreneur, which is a, a cool term. Yeah, yeah, we have a we have a bunch of entrepreneurs in our company that, you know, they get to they get to decide how much they want to make based on how good they get at their position, right? It's like we have no limits. Okay, well, what about uh, what about small businesses? You know, we have a fair amount of small business owners who might be in that one million to five million dollar range. What are some habits that they should be focusing on to get to that next level? So I remember when we were in the one to $5 million thing and my, you know, I was managing the business and I was out in the field and I was doing a lot of the stuff. So my goal was to hire a really good manager. And at the time I found somebody that came from, you know, one of the competing companies. And when he came over, um, I spent a good two, three weeks with them and uh, delegated, you know, the management aspects of the business to them, put some numbers together, success factors, you know, if you're, if you're doing this, you're successful. And then I went out and started working on the business, right? So if you're stuck working in the business uh, because you're wearing all the hats, hire some really good people, train them, let them take the right, you know, responsibility of running the business so you could go out there and create opportunities for other people. So that's basically what I did. And after I did that, you know, I just made sure that person had everything they need. And I was like, a, you know, if you need anything, I'm here for you, you know, to my manager. Um, however, it's, it's your baby. Now you got to take care of it, right? Uh, just come to me if you need resources or you need advice or whatever. Uh, but I'm not going to get in your way. I'm going to stay on my side of the line. And I did that, you know, I stayed on my side of the line. A lot of owners will hire the manager, but they'll go there and they'll keep doing the work with them. 
right? Looking over their shoulder and being involved in everything or, you know, like disappearing altogether, you know, like making it a lifestyle business where, okay, well, he's doing the job so I could go home at 12 o'clock and go golf or something, you know? Um, but no, you, your work doesn't stop. I mean, if you want to grow the organization, you still have to put the time and effort in. Well, I'm no, sure you... Sounds I'm, like they're coming for you, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, our, our corporate office is right across the street from a police station, so... Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, okay. we get a lot... It wasn't the warrants then. Good firing. to know. <laughs> yeah. John, we're, I'm sure... We're between, go we're ahead. between a police station and a cemetery, so we're oh, boy. on one side. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Well, I'm sure you can see where the next question is going, you know, after... People struggle so hard to get to that 1 million, 5 million range, and then they start like feeling that success. And then you hit that next plateau again, which, you know, I'm sure it's somewhere in that six to $10 million range and moving on. What, what was it effective to you or what were the habits that you were exhibiting in your own life to move from that small entry level business into more of a developed, now we have multiple trucks and we have office people and all that. What did that look like for you? Well, I mean, I have to keep training the people too. So one of my responsibilities as a, as an owner uh, was to make sure that I had an organization where everybody was improving every single day. And until today, you know, we have, for our managers, we have a, we have what we call a book club where we all have to, you know, join. Uh, it's an hour a week. Everybody has an assignment. They go off and read a chapter, uh, come back and talk about what they learned. Um, you know, so we've been doing this ever since inception. I mean, I've been a lifelong learner and I don't want to be around people that, you know, don't want to get better. You know, if somebody already is like, oh, no, I've learned everything I need to know. You know, I don't need to learn anything else. Then it's probably not a good place. You know, hero land is not a good place for them because we want people that are committed to becoming, you know, lifetime learners. And, uh, and, and we hold meetings and from the beginning, you know, I've been in book club, probably read with my team, hundreds of books, hundreds of books together. Um, and I do that at home as well. I mean, I have a book club with my boys, my kids, you know, we sit down and read books together and I want them to have the same attitude. I want them to be lifelong learners. Um, so I think as an owner, you know, if you want to grow a business, you've got to make everybody around you better, including yourself, you know. And uh, and the better we get, the better the team gets, the more we can grow. That's a great message, John. And as we start bringing things in for landing here, you know, I think that the next question is, now that you're sitting at a $100 million organization with hundreds of employees and, you know, all that goes into that, what was the tipping point in your mind as you as you reflect back upon the growth trajectory in the last, uh, what I guess, 11 years? What was the tipping point when you knew, oh, man, here we go. We're, we're hitting the acceleration mode and we're just going to explode. Or didn't that happen? And maybe this is more incremental growth. You know, what was that like for you? Well, the, the tipping point was whenever my focus was completely on the business without distractions, that the business grew. I mean, you know, many times we hit plateaus uh, because I was distracted because I had something or another going on. And one of them was, you know, getting out of the franchising relationship. You know, even though it did 
such a good thing for me in the beginning days. I learned so much and, um, and you know, I'm very grateful for the people in that franchise and what they've taught me. I have, uh, and you know, I have no regret of, of going in that route, uh, because I learned so much. Right. But every time I had a distraction and I was like preoccupied doing something other than my primary role at the company, um, my business was stagnant. It wasn't growing. Um, so, um, I guess, you know, that's, that, that's the tipping point is total 100% focus, you know, on what moves the needle. Well, moving the needle is what we're trying to do on this show, John. And as we reflect upon, you know, the last uh, hour or so that we spent together, I'm sure a lot of people have questions. They may be interested in knowing more about you or about some of your books. Where's the best place to get in touch with you or find your books or, you know, ask you questions? What does that look like? So, um, our website um, has all that information. So, it's uh, rooterhero.com, R O O T E R. H-E-R-O.com. Uh, we have a section there um, where I think forward slash books. Uh, you can go in and uh, see all the books we have. We have all of our books there. We just recently, our call center manager wrote a book about how to run an effective call center. You know, that's even available. Our hero way of how we, you know, go out to market is on there. All the books I wrote is on there. So, um, and then my cell phone number is on the website as well. So, you go to about us. Uh, I've, I've listed my cell phone number in there. Uh, also email is a good way. You know, my email is John J O H N at rooterhero.com. Um, I just try to make myself as available as possible for, for, you know, being able to help anybody. That's awesome, John. Very generous of you and much appreciated by our audience. I'm sure. As, uh, as we wrap up the podcast here, you know, one thing that I like to ask a lot of our guests is now that you're looking back upon all the things that you've accomplished, I mean, you've owned your own business multiple times over, you've, you've seen things come and go. A lot of us are looking at the upcoming financial state of the country and the economy and all that. And, you know, there's fear and trepidation and what's coming. You've been through a lot of that. You've been in the business for decades what have you seen as the best and most effective strategy of overcoming financial downturns and winning in, in the midst of it? That's a great question. I mean, I've always believed, uh, and there's a saying out there that I constantly go back to is, you know, all the water out in the ocean, um, will not sink a ship. Only the water that gets within the ship will sink it. So it doesn't matter what, financial issues are out there, who the president is, what's happening. If you focus on your core business and you focus on serving clients and making it, you know, the best operating business, then nothing outside of the business can sink the ship. Um, So that's basically what our focus has been. We've been through multiple recessions and downturns, and we've always done really well uh, through financial crises, even COVID or the 2008 housing crisis. And it's only because, you know, we looked within the business and, uh, and we made sure all of our people, uh, did not participate. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I tell my people, you know, whatever is happening out there, that doesn't involve us. Okay. We're not part of that. 
okay, don't watch the news. Uh, just focus on becoming the best, serving clients, doing the best you can, and we'll be all right. So that's that's all I could say about that. Sound counsel, John, and we appreciate that motivation and encouragement for all of us in the trades. Uh, you know, I, I think we do have a, a great future in front of us, regardless of what the financial economy is doing and everything else. If you're a strong business and you keep doing the things that matter in business, people will still flock to you because we're, we're essential, man. I mean, we, <laughs> people need us. It's, it's what we do. We just got to keep doing it well. John Akoyan, it's been a privilege to have you on our show. Thank you so much for sharing your time, your, uh, your resources with us, and all of your experience. I know our listeners will appreciate it. Yeah, it was great to have you on, John, and let's definitely do this again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Dave. Nate, it was a pleasure being on your show, and uh, thank you very much. Hey, that's a wrap for this podcast. We hope that you enjoyed listening to John, and uh, we're super grateful that he was able to share not only his resources, but also his uh, vast uh, experience with us in terms of all the years that he has in the trades and all the business uh, roller coaster rides that he's been on. It's always cool to see somebody on the other side, so to speak, and to have them reflect back upon and share those experiences and what they've learned through it for us. Hope that you enjoyed it and you were motivated by his story. He's a man from humble means, and I believe he still continues that today based on what we heard in the podcast. I really appreciate that. Uh, and we're super grateful that John was able to stop by and spend some time with us. We hope that this podcast is being motivating for you and encouraging, bringing you stories and content every single week that are uh, lifting you up and encouraging you, challenging you to become a better version of yourself. Uh, if we are, uh, we greatly appreciate any feedback that we hear from you, and we'd sure love a five-star review, some comments, or some suggestions for what we should choose next. What we want you to choose next is, of course, our weekly challenge, which is to find the better version of yourself inside, to chisel off the fat and get down to the real meat on the bone and begin exercising that to become a better version of you. And we prefer that you do that by choosing to wake up every single morning and waste no day.